Sunday school hour. I invite you to stand this morning as we sing hymn number 260. He is able to deliver thee. Hymn number 260, stand as we sing. Bob Reichel, would you pray for us, please? Man, you can be seated unless you celebrate a birthday and anniversary. We'd like to recognize you at this time. Well, praise the Lord. Matt Potts. Awesome. Giveaway. Awesome. Happy birthday, too. Right here, too. Yeah, that's right. All right. I saw her on Facebook. Here we go. Let's sing Anybody happy birthday. Else? All right. Happy birthday to you. the Lord. It's good to be in the Lord's house today, and I intentionally waited until the prayer was going on to come up, and it was so nice. It was nice and quiet. I didn't have to, you know, like Indian step to get up here. I just walked. And nice to have carpet, amen, and nice to see these two pieces of black furniture back. That's a blessing, amen. So, um, Upcoming events, we have the Lord's Supper on Tuesday night. Encourage all church members to be here at 7 o'clock. 
Uh, there'll be no Wednesday night service this week. We're going to have a guest speaker next week. Brother Rick Carter from Beth Haven Baptist Church in Oklahoma City will be with us. And uh, he's going to do a great job and encourage you to be here for that. Uh, Christmas missions offering, we'll receive that December 3rd. Uh, this is a special offering that we received just to be a blessing to the missionaries our church has sent out uh, and be a blessing to them. And so if you could uh, participate in that, we have Cantata on December the 10th, uh, Sunday afternoon at 2 o'clock. So our 1 o'clock service will actually be at 2 o'clock. Gives the choir just a little bit more time uh, to get warmed up and prepared. And there'll be a cookie fellowship afterwards. Uh, there's going to be Patch of Pirate program December 17th in the afternoon service. And ladies' Christmas party going to be held at the Met Singer's house December the 18th at 7 o'clock. And so I encourage you to plan on that also. It's good to be in the Lord's house today. Good to see your smiling faces and your grumpy faces and all your faces. And this is the week uh, set aside to give thanksgiving. But the truth is, is every day ought to be a day of thanksgiving. We have so much to be thankful for. Our God is always faithful to us, never failed us. We have so much to praise him for. I'm going to have Brother Foster come back, lead us in another song, then we'll get to our Sunday school time. Lord bless you for being here. If you would stand once again, we'll sing hymn number 140, We Have an Anchor. We'll sing the first and the last verses. My class, you can be turning to, in your Bibles to Esther chapter number 5 is where we'll be today. And we are also in lesson number 5. We have new handouts. If you need one, Brother Potts has those in the back. I'd be glad to get you one. Please raise your hand. All right. 
Anyone else? Up front here. <laughs> All right. Haven't been part of this class. We're studying the book of Esther and we're studying about uh, God's providence, understanding the, the truth and the fact that God certainly is directing this world. He's directing in our lives if we'll allow Him to. And He's working behind the scenes to perform His will. And we see this carried out in the life and in, in this book of Esther. And we can say God certainly working behind the scenes and it's, it's a miraculous work that He's doing. Uh, and it just reminds us that we simply need to trust the Lord. We simply need to follow Him and understand that He's working for our good, and He's working for His good, and He certainly uh, desires to work through us. And we see this, uh, especially today in chapter number 5, as you know, we've come to this point and we understand all that's taken place, and boy, what a, what a series of events that's led us to chapter number 5. And uh, we know at this point that Haman is very angry at Mordecai, Mordecai refusing to bow to him. And because of that, Haman, uh, as an enemy of the Jews, seeks to retaliate on the entire Jewish people within the Persian Empire, and he seeks to have them killed. And then uh, Mordecai petitions Esther that she might go before the king on behalf of the Jewish people and plead with him that he might spare their lives. So that's where we find our place in chapter number 5 today. And I'd like to pick up reading here in verse number 1 of Esther chapter 5. I'll read along here and you can listen as I read. Now it came to pass on the third day that Esther put on her royal apparel and stood in the inner court of the king's house over against the king's house. And the king sat upon his royal throne in the royal house over against the gate of the house. And it was so when the king saw Esther the queen standing in the court that she obtained favor in his sight. And the king held out Esther the golden scepter that was in his hand. So Esther drew near and touched the top of the scepter. Then said the king unto her, What wilt thou, Queen Esther, and what is thy request? It shall be given thee to the half of the kingdom. And Esther answered, If it seem good unto thee, unto the king, let the king and Haman come this day unto the banquet that I have prepared for him. Then the king said, Cause Haman to make haste, that he may do as Esther hath said. So the king and Haman came to the banquet that Esther had prepared. And the king said unto Esther at the banquet of wine, What is thy petition? And it shall be granted thee. And what is thy request? Even to the half of the kingdom it shall be performed. Then answered Esther and said, My petition and my request is, If I have found favor in the sight of the king, and if it please the king to grant my petition and to perform my request, let the king and Haman come to the banquet that I shall prepare for them, and I will do tomorrow as the king hath said. Then went Haman forth that day joyful and with a glad heart, but when Haman saw Mordecai in the king's gate, that he stood not up nor moved for him, he was full of indignation against Mordecai. Nevertheless, Haman refrained himself. And when he came home, he sent and called for his friends and Zeresh, his wife, 
And Haman told them of the glory of his riches, and the multitude of his children, and all the things wherein the king had promoted him, and how he had advanced him above the princes and servants of the king. Haman said, Moreover, Yea, Esther the queen did let no man come in with the king unto the banquet that she had prepared but myself, and tomorrow am I invited unto her also with the king. What a plan here we see unfolding before us, and we'll dive into uh, each part of this as we go through the lesson today. But as we, as we go through our life, there are times when we experience uh, extreme anxiety, if we're honest. There are things that we face, and because of the unknown of the situation, uh, we become anxious. And when facing that difficult situa- situation, we are met with a plethora of unknowns. Um, you know, I'm a person that likes to know things, and I like to understand how things are going to work. So having faith in the Lord takes an exercise on my part to be able to trust and to, to put my confidence in the Lord that He's going to work things out. And I'm sure that many of you are probably similar in that. But uh, here we must understand that Esther is facing an extreme situation. Now, this is a life or death situation she's facing. Now, many of us have not faced that. Uh, I don't think that I have faced a life or death situation based on the decisions that I would have to make. But this is a decision that she is getting ready to make here, petitioning the king, and it could be a life or death situation. Fortunately, God invites us to seek Him and the God who has the ability to grant us favor with anyone. Aren't you thankful that we serve a God who can move and, on behalf of us and can work in the hearts of individuals around us? He sees us where we are and He is willing to direct our paths. I'm thankful for a Lord such as that. So we find ourselves here that uh, Esther has listened to the plea of Mordecai and she has gone to the king and she is she doesn't lay out immediately what her request is. And we see that as we've read through this portion of scripture. So as we look through this this story unfolding, and we have to ask ourselves this question, and I'm sure many of us have done so, have we ever made a decision that was life-altering? Well, if you're married today, that was a life-altering decision. If you're saved today, that certainly was a life-altering decision, a very good decision. Uh, But there's probably some decisions that we've made that we would go back and change if we could, because they were life-altering in the the wrong way. Um, But this certainly was a a decision that she was facing that was going to be life-altering. And we see this throughout the Bible where individuals made a decision and made a choice and it was life-altering. And we can go back to the book of Genesis and we see that Adam made a decision that was certainly life-altering. And that decision affects us today. That decision affected all mankind when he ate of that fruit. And then we see Noah, because of his faithfulness, he built the ark. And, and then Abraham... Uh, because of the decision to have a child by Hagar, the Israelites are still, still troubled by the descendants, and we see it today. Moses, when he obeyed God and delivered Israel out of bondage, and then David, when he obeyed his father and killed the giant. So we see that the decisions we make can be life-altering for the good or for the bad. But in this series uh, that we have studied, this figure of Esther, I believe she deserves to be on this list as well. Uh, a young woman who saved her people. As we closed chapter number four, uh, we saw that wicked Haman convinced the king to issue a decree to take the lives of all the Jews. So we know that those Persian 
decrees could not be altered, they could not be changed, so once it was decreed, it was to take place. And this decree ushered a time of mourning for all the Jews throughout every province in the Persian Empire. And for many of the Jews, all hope seemed to be lost. They didn't see a way out, and they saw their pending doom uh, coming to fruition. But Mordecai had hope. Mordecai had faith, and he trusted the Lord and the promises of God, believing that God would deliver his people somehow. He then went to Esther and challenged her to consider that maybe God had placed her in this position for such a time as this. So Esther had made the courageous decision to take action in this matter, even though it could cost her her life. So in today's study, in chapter number 5, we see how God used her action to change history. Let's look at here, first of all, Esther's petition of the king. So she's seeking favor, uh, the favor of God and on her behalf. We saw in chapter 4 that they spent time fasting and praying and petitioning the Lord that He might work in their on their behalf, and Esther now begins to carry out and begins to act upon Mordecai's request. You remember from our last study that by law, Esther was prohibited from approaching the king unless he first summoned her to come. The penalty for doing so could be death. So when Mordecai asked Esther to talk to the king, she had not been summoned in the past 30 days, the Bible tells us. And from a human perspective, her life was at the king's mercy. But I'm thankful that Esther knew the one who had the power to turn the heart of the king. And we serve a God who has that power. We serve a God who can turn the hearts of individuals. And Proverbs 21.1 says, The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord as the rivers of water. He turneth it whithersoever he will. So although access to the Persian king, even though he was Esther's husband, was limited and frightening, access to her true king was available and effective. And I'm thankful we serve a God who's always available to us. And we can go to Him anytime with our petitions. So Esther knew that before approaching King Ahasuerus, she needed to fast and pray along with the other Jews in Sushan. And her approach would be a prayerful approach. And any, any decision that we face needs to be sought and spent in time in prayer, seeking the Lord in His face and what His will is in the matter. So she sought about... Uh, this through prayer. And when Esther received the message from Mordecai to approach the king, she requested all the Jews in Sushan began to fast and to pray and for three days. And after this time, she would go into the king without being summoned. Nothing is recorded in our text uh, concerning what happened during those days, but no doubt this was a time of, of a sober and solemn time of seeking the Lord in His face and the matter that was upon them and upon the Jews and the decree that was made against them. We understand this, that only God in this situation could give Esther the favor she needed from the king when she would approach him unsummoned. So she earnestly sought his favor. Proverbs 16 verse 1 reminds us of this. It says, The preparations of the heart in man and the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. Commit thy works unto the Lord, and thy thoughts shall be established. What a tremendous truth it is that we need to commit our ways and our works unto the Lord, allowing Him to guide us and direct us, and then giving us the thoughts that we need to think. So once again, we're reminded of a time in, in Daniel's life when he 
was faced with a decision. He earnestly sought God's favor through prayer. In this instance, Daniel had just learned that King Nebuchadnezzar was killing all the wise men in the kingdom because they could not relate to him the dream he had or interpret it for him. So Daniel went to his friends and together they turned to God in prayer. In Daniel chapter 2 and verse 17 it says, Then Daniel went to his house and made the thing known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, that they would desire mercies of the God of heaven concerning this secret, that Daniel and his fellows should not perish with the rest of the wise men in Babylon. Then was the secret revealed unto Daniel in a night vision. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and might are His. And He changeth the times and the seasons. He removeth kings and setteth up kings. And giveth, He giveth wisdom unto the wise and knowledge to them that know understanding. We see here that the, the wisdom that Daniel had was during a difficult decision, during the midst of, of a wicked king making a decree upon the wise men of the land. He petitions the Lord. He turns to the Lord. The Lord, the only one that can make the difference. The only one that has the right answer. So prayer is the key to moving the heart of God. And oftentimes, in times of difficulty... Uh, God uses these times to draw us closer to Him, that we might uh, go to Him and plead to Him in prayer. And Our loving God wants us to come to Him. D.L. Moody said this, Some people think God does not like to be troubled with our constant coming and asking. The way to trouble God is not to come to Him at all. God desires for us to come to Him. And He wants to hear your heart and your pleas and your cries to Him. Esther recognized that if she was going to approach the king, that she needed prayer, and she needed to pray herself, and she needed the prayers of the other Jews. And that's why we find it so important on Wednesday nights to pray for one another. We, we know it's an important thing to bring our requests before the Lord, and, and on a daily basis, bringing our petitions before the Lord, that He might hear our hearts and grant our request according to His will. So she sought the Lord prayerfully, understanding that the Lord was the only one that could make the difference in this situation. Next we see deferential treatment here. After the three days of prayer and fasting, Esther used great wisdom and deference in her uninvited appearance before the king. We see that she put on a royal dress, as we read in our text in verse number one. Knowing the king, uh, Esther dressed in a way that showed honor to his position but on the royal apparel, reminding the king of who she was, but also showing respect for who he was. Esther's royal apparel probably would have been a garment of purple and gold, showcasing her royalty and reflecting honor to the king. Esther was concerned whether the king would acknowledge her presence and grant her an audience. If he didn't, it could mean her immediate execution, and she knew how unpredictable his moods were. And we've seen that all throughout uh, the book of Esther, how he's easily angered and how he makes hasty decisions in those moments of anger. Warren Wearsby says this, that Esther prepared herself to meet the king. If you knew you were going to meet the President of the United States at the White House, you would prepare for the meeting. So she made preparation. She's meeting the ruler of the Persian Empire and she's uh, approaching him with honor and respect. So she put on the royal dress. 
Then we also see that she had a calm demeanor. Esther showed deference to the king through her dress, but she also remained calm in spite of her dire situation. So more important than Esther's physical appearance was her inner preparation. We know that she'd spent time with the Lord, and no doubt the Lord was preparing her heart and preparing her mind for what she was about to do. She was ready spiritually to face the ramifications of her decision. She'd come to the point of full submission to the Lord. Whether you grant me life or whether you grant me death, I'm going to do this because I understand it's your will. She was ready to face the king. This willingness allowed her to exhibit a quiet strength. Uh, And this quiet strength, we see, had the ability then to soften the heart of a wicked and powerful king. That's contrary to the way people go about getting their voice heard today, isn't it? Today, people are looking for change. Uh, They turn to angry protests, rioting, and vengeful actions to gain the attention of those around them and make their voices heard. They usually do gain attention, but the result is often more innocent deaths and a lasting chaos. So in spite of the unknowns Esther faced, she was able to remain calm. So her ability to remain calm in this moment was directly tied to her confidence in the Lord. We talked about the anxiousness that we face in decisions that come before us. The calm can only be found as we place our trust in the Lord, as we put our confidence in Him. So four reasons Esther could be calm in the face of danger. First of all, the Jews had been fasting and praying for three days, asking God to intervene and save them from annihilation. Secondly, Esther knew that God had covenanted with the Jews to deal with their enemies. So God had made a promise to the nation of Israel that He would fight for them, that He would protect them. Number three, Esther knew that God, the God of Israel, was a forgiving God who would hear His people when they humbled themselves and prayed. And number four, Esther saw God's favor in that He had already allowed a remnant of Jews to return to their land to rebuild the temple. We're reminded of moments in our lives when we are faced with difficulty, I mean extreme difficulty. And in those moments, you find it hard to keep composure because of the urgency or stress. When you're aware of of a need for God's peace, that is a signal to turn to Him and commit the stresses you are under to Him in prayer. And I think for those of us that have been saved for quite a while, we, we find that we often have to turn to Him. You know, maybe when we're younger, we're... Maybe don't remember to or we are reluctant to because we feel like we can make our way out of a situation. But uh, some wisdom, <laughs> certainly as you age in Christianity, you find yourself turning more quickly <laughs> and asking God for help. Boy, I, I ask Him even for the little things and see that God would work and that He would help and that He would guide because I want to do things according to His will. And when I try to take control, then things become chaotic, and they aren't the way that the Lord would have them. So certainly Esther understood this, and she found her confidence in the Lord, and she turned to Him in prayer. Philippians chapter 4 tells us of this truth, that, uh, of our reliance on the Lord, and that we should be committed to turning to Him. It says, be careful for nothing, 
But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. That's a good place to be. That's a wonderful place to be. When we can commit our ways to the Lord and understanding that, and as we think about the time of Thanksgiving, boy, being thankful every day for what the Lord has done. And what a great peace and a calmness it brings as we remember the goodness of the Lord and all that He's done in our lives and what He's committed to do for us. Boy, we serve an awesome God and we ought to be thankful and it ought to bring rest to our soul. Warren Wiersbe also said this, One of the greatest needs in the church today is for intercessors who will pray faithfully for a lost world and for a church that desperately needs revival. Well, we need prayer warriors praying for that every day. So Esther could, not, could stand before the king in quiet confidence because her approach was prayerful and deferential. And now she would see God's favor. So she's prayed about it. She's deferring to the king and his position, showing respect and honor. And then we see favor. When the king saw Esther... She immediately had the king's favor. And verse number two, And it was so when the king saw Esther the queen standing in the court, that she obtained favor in his sight. And so you can imagine now the Lord is working, and, and Esther, she's put on the royal apparel. Now understand that he's, he's already attracted to her. <laughs> we understand that. She rose above the rest when he was choosing a queen. And he was probably reminded of that first time he saw her. And, and reminded of, of how much he loved her. And, and we see here that quickly she found favor in the sight of the king. So the queen was accepted by the king, and he saw her as graceful and elegant. This kind of favor was through the Lord's intervention. The Lord had heard the prayers of his people, and he worked on the heart of this ungodly king. So we must understand this truth, that our God has the ability to turn the hearts of ungodly leaders. And I'm thankful for that because that gives us an opportunity to pray, to pray about the situations we're in today. That God can turn the heart of an ungodly leader. So Proverbs 21, verse 1 says, The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord, and as the rivers of water, he turneth it whithersoever he will. So understand this, that God is always in control. He has the final say. So we must pray to him, and we must petition him. And we must ask him that he might turn the hearts of the wicked leaders. So upon entering, Esther waited for the official signal that the king would allow her to proceed. And that was that the scepter would be held towards her. Reading on in verse 2 and 3, it's, And the king held out to Esther the golden scepter that was in his hand. So Esther drew near and touched the top of the scepter. Then said the king unto her, What wilt thou, Queen Esther? And what is thy request? It shall be given thee to the half of the kingdom. That's interesting. So Esther approached the king with the hope that he would extend his scepter to her. Not only did he do so, but he also made Esther a lavish invitation. He told her she could have anything she wanted up to half of the kingdom. So he's opened the door for quite an opportunity here. So it was, more form, it was a more formal way of saying, what would you like? The sky's the limit. Now, many wives would love for their husbands to say that, right? You can have whatever you want up to half of the kingdom, up to half of the household. You can have it. Uh, this is what the king is doing. Yeah, there you go. 
So obviously he's, he's showing favor to Esther. He loves her and he wants to please her. Wisely, Esther did not immediately ask for what she ultimately wanted. Instead, she evoked the king's curiosity. I believe the Lord is granting wisdom here on the behalf of Esther uh, that she would navigate this in a way that, that he could move and that he would work in such a great way. So we see this is Esther's petition. We see the setting up, the, the stage here of what's getting ready to take place in this petition. So next we see Esther's plot regarding Haman. So we have a, a situation here with Haman, and he's the one that's the enemy of the Jews, and he seeks to take them out, and the decree's been made. So what is it? what's Esther going to do here? So the king made a kind gesture towards Esther. She responded with another kind gesture and an invitation for the king and Haman to be at the banquet. So we see this request for them to come to the banquet in verse number 4, And Esther answered, If it seemed good unto the king, let the king and Haman come this day unto the banquet that I have prepared for him. It's interesting to, to look at the wording and the way that she phrases things. And she's always, uh, again, showing that deferential treatment of the king and, and pleading to him in such a way that uh, she would be asking him, if this would be favorable to you, I would like you to do this. So she used wisdom. So the Lord had given Esther the wisdom she needed for this mission, and certainly she had already, by faith, begun to prepare this meal. And inviting Haman to the banquet was a, a wise decision because it boosted Haman's pride. <laughs> he was a prideful man, and she was playing then on that pride making him less suspicious of Esther's intentions. At the same time, it increased Esther's favor in the eyes of the king because of the trust the king had in Haman. So she's requested Haman to come to the banquet. But what happens? The request isn't made known at the first banquet. She, at that banquet, requests another banquet. So Esther did not inform the king about Haman's plot in the first banquet. This was probably because the opening banquet wasn't the best time for this petition to be made or the best place for it to be made. If others were present, serving in the palace, it would have been against the court's uh, etiquette for the queen to make a public plea. Instead, we see Esther made the king comfortable and requested a second banquet, this time exclusively with Haman and the king. Continue reading here in verses 5 through 8. And the king said, Cause Haman to make haste, that he may do as Esther has said. So the king and Haman came to the banquet that Esther had prepared. And the king said unto Esther at the banquet of wine, What is thy petition? And it shall be granted thee. And what is thy request? Even to the half of the kingdom it shall be performed. Then answered Esther and said, My petition and my request is, If I have found favor in the sight of the king, and if it please the king to grant my petition and to perform my request, let the king and Haman come to the banquet that I shall prepare for them. And I will do tomorrow as the king has said. So she set the stage now for the second banquet to get king, the king and Haman alone. So at the second banquet, uh, we see that uh, she again uses wisdom. The fact that pride was already in Haman's heart is evident, and we've seen it over and over in his life and through this story. Uh, so she was going to work that. And we see here that Haman's pride increases. 
And the pride beam from Haman as he left that first banquet, and we saw what he, he did there in our text. He, he left with pride. He went to the first banquet. He was invited to that, but then he's, getting, he's uh, gotten invited to a second one. And to a man like Haman, who was such a lofty view of himself, this invitation was more momentum to his egotistical plans for himself. Warren Wiersbe said this of Haman. It says, What an honor for Haman to attend a special banquet with the king and queen alone in the queen's private apartment. It is unlikely that any official in the empire had ever been so honored. As Haman ate and drank with Ahasuerus and Esther, his confidence grew. So leaving the banquet with a renewed sense of power and influence, Haman encountered the person who challenged him, who challenged his pride, and this was Mordecai. He challenged his pride more than anyone else, and this infuriated Haman. So after he's left this first banquet, he sees Mordecai there at the gate once again. And he hated Mordecai. So Haman saw Mordecai sitting at the king's gate, and once again Mordecai would not stand as Haman walked by. We saw that in verse 9. And our text tells us that Haman then was full of indignation. He was full of hate and full of wrath and hot displeasure. Haman's emotions plunged from the pinnacle of elation, being invited to this banquet by Esther, and now to severe wrath, all because of his pride. Mordecai would not bow to Haman, and this insignificant fact infuriated Haman. So even as Haman hated Mordecai because he was a Jew, there will be people who hate us because we are Christians, because we seek to follow Christ. In fact, this kind of hatred towards God and the people of God is rising even in the United States today, and we see it more and more. When we experience this hatred, it's important to remember that it stems from pride and anger towards God. And in these times, we should, like Mordecai, remain steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. We must be, remain committed to the Lord. So Haman, again, building on his pride, he's, he sees Mordecai and infuriates him, but he still remembers uh, what he was invited to, so he brags to his friends. And after walking past Mordecai and renewing his rage, Haman composed himself enough to return home and call his friends and family to brag about the private banquet to which he was invited. So you can see him walking in, and he's telling them, boy, I was just invited to Esther's banquet, and I was there, and you should have seen all the people there, all the higher-ups were there, and I was able to be a part. And he's bragging about this to his friends and his wife, and he made sure his friends knew that he was given an exclusive invitation to dine with the king and queen. The same man who demanded that everyone but the king to bow to him was determined to let everyone know just how great he was. He was parading around and letting everyone know how excellent he was. So this prideful man exhibited many of the characteristics that God hates, mentioned in Proverbs chapter number 6, where it says, These six things doth the Lord hate, yea, seven are an abomination unto me. A proud look, a lying tongue and hands that shed innocent blood, and heart that deviseth wicked imaginations, feet that be swift in running to mischief, a false witness that speaketh lies, and he that soweth discord among the brethren. Boy, that sounds like a description of Haman, doesn't it? So with all the glory and the wealth 
and the power that Haman had, one would think that he would be satisfied. But those are not the things that bring satisfaction in our life. People like this are never content. In Haman's world, satisfaction was impossible because of one man who would not bow to him. Haman had no problem telling others how great he was. But in spite of Haman's elation, he was still bothered by Mordecai's refusal to bow. So we see that he made the plan to kill Mordecai. In Haman's mind, the only way for him to be satisfied was to eliminate the one person who would stand against his pride. Haman began detailing exactly how he intended to kill Mordecai in verse 13 and 14. Yet all this availeth me nothing, so long as I see Mordecai the Jew sitting at the king's gate. Then said Jeresh, his wife, and all his friends unto him, Let a gallows be made of fifty cubits high, and tomorrow speak thou unto the king, that Mordecai may be hanged thereon. Then go thou in merrily with the king unto the banquet. And the thing pleased Haman, and he caused the gallows to be made. So Haman here... Again, because of how infuriated he is, he decides he can't wait for Mordecai to die. He can't wait for the date that they decreed for the Jews to be killed. Instead, he determined that he must have Mordecai put to, get, put to death sooner. Furthermore, Haman determined that Mordecai needed to be made a public example so that no one would ever dare humiliate Haman the way Mordecai had. So Haman had gallows 50 cubits high made for Mordecai. He wasted no time. He had the gallows made immediately. Once again, as happened in chapter 1 with Ahasuerus and Vashti, we see anger leading a person to make a hasty decision. Once again, we are reminded to guard against allowing anger to take over our emotions. When we find ourselves in that anger rising within us, it would do us well to take a step back and allow the Holy Spirit to take control of that emotion. Don't make a decision, a hasty decision, when you're in the midst of an angry situation. Anger often breeds foolish decisions that we regret later. Proverbs 14, 29 says, He that is slow to wrath is of great understanding, but he that is hasty of spirit exalteth folly. So Haman viewed himself as invincible. Boy, he was in a lofty position. He had great favor with the king second only to the king himself. But Haman was about to see that not even he could thwart the plans that God had for his people. I'm excited for this third part, but we're not going to get into it today. It's exciting to see that God works behind the scenes. And God works on behalf of his people, and he wants to work on behalf of you and I, and he certainly will. And we need to just stand back and allow the Lord to work. Pleading with Him, praying with Him, understanding His will and His way, seeing what the Lord can do. Boy, He can work tremendous miracles if we'll simply trust Him and allow Him to work. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful today for this story of, of Esther and the way that you've worked miraculously. And boy, we're getting to the point now where it's getting very exciting in this story and, and seeing how uh, you are going to uh, bring about your plan and your will and your way. Father, how the tables will turn now on on Haman, and Father, we just pray that you'd help us to draw from this story a confidence and a renewed trust and faith in you, Father, for the difficulties that we face in this life. 
for those that we will face. Help us to draw our confidence and our strength from you. Help us to turn to you quickly in prayer. Father, I pray that you just work these lessons in our life to, to strengthen us and encourage us in the Lord. Father, I pray that through it, you would also draw us closer to you. And I pray now for the service to follow, that you'd speak again to our hearts. Father, I thank you and praise you for your goodness to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for your kind attention. We'll meet right back in here at 1030.